Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, everybody. It is John Pollock and Brandon Thurston for another edition of Pollock and Thurston Interview. And we've got Brandon. It's our version of the big get today. Yes, we, we have <clears> a very big get. We have uh, some people say that Rich Steamboat and... Uh, Randy Savage stole the show at WrestleMania three, but but uh, it doesn't compare to CNBC stealing the show and Alex Sherman stealing the show in twenty twenty three at WrestleMania. That is it. The big story broken on Sunday by our guest today, CNBC media reporter Alex Sherman, who has been so kind to take time out of his vacation, no less, this week uh, to chat with us about this uh, the seismic deal for Endeavor, WWE, and the UFC. So, Alex, uh, first of all, just tell us uh, where are you vacationing, and you have chosen quite the week for a vacation. Yeah, I'm in Hillsboro Beach, Florida. You can see, I can even move my screen. You can see the ocean out the window here. I'm here with my family. It's funny. I did a lot of the reporting um, for this deal in the lobby of the Miami Open. Uh, we were that's that was sort of why we came down here because um, we got tickets to the finals, both the men's and the women's. Um, and I I probably watched 25 percent of of the of the matches on both Saturday and Sunday. Uh, because I was making calls from the Miami Open, which I learned over the course of the last 48 hours is actually owned by Endeavor. Um, so that was the irony there. So now the, now Endeavor owns both the WWE and the Miami Open. Oh, look at that. Endeavor, just a, a voracious appetite for, for all things, uh, sports and entertainment related. Let's uh, dial this back maybe a, a couple of weeks ago. And if we were to be talking to you early March, what was sort of your lay of the land of the front runners uh, when, when it came to the sale talks of WWE and where Endeavor was and what, once they got closer to the goal line in the ensuing weeks? I always thought Endeavor was one of the front runners. Um, that was, you know, mostly based on what I was told, really. But logic also, I mean, you figured that Endeavor had had quite a bit of success uh, owning UFC. This is a property that it bought for $4 billion or so. Uh, now in, in this deal, they value UFC around $12 billion. So that gives you, uh, an indication of, of the value creation that the UFC has had under Endeavor's ownership. The main reason I thought Endeavor made a lot of sense was I figured if any deal happened, <clears throat> it would probably include Vince McMahon staying with the company, even though he came out publicly and said, I'm willing to walk. Uh, you know, I was told by people familiar with the matter that McMahon always wanted to stay with the company. He said that course because a you have to say that b you never know what the deal is and you know for shareholder purposes you, you can't kind of walk into a sale and say like look i won't take the highest bid because i refuse to leave um but clearly this was wwe is his life it's his baby he didn't uh, he came back to the company so i figured endeavor given the fact that it was owned by ari emmanuel and that they already had a structure in place where dana white stayed with the ufc would be a logical home where they could probably figure out a way to keep mcmahon involved in the business. And that's exactly what we saw. So uh, the one thing I would say is that at the time, I thought some of the big media companies might be interested. Comcast, Disney, Fox, of course, Comcast and Disney already have rights deals in place with the WWE. 
over the course of the past several months, what I think I realized is that uh, that interest maybe wasn't there. Um, I don't think Comcast was particularly interested. I don't think Disney was ever interested. I don't have as firm of a read on Fox, but clearly not as interested as Endeavor. Yeah, I can see why it wouldn't fit for Fox with Fox being a smaller company these days. But, you know, even you know years ago, thinking about if, if W was ever to be acquired, Comcast slash NBCU made a lot of sense because uh, because NBCU is so invested in W programming with Raw, with the network content, and NXT, and, and some other programming. So do you have any idea of why uh, NBCU, Comcast, wasn't that interested? Yeah, one may be McMahon um, and his future involvement. Uh, I don't really know how that would fit. Comcast is, you know, by and large, a, a, a conservative cable company at heart. The idea that, you know, adding McMahon to the mix may not have worked. Um, but I think the bigger idea about why that was not a fit was uh, Comcast probably has one big shot here from a merger perspective. Uh, this is not a great time for media mergers in the sense that the general valuation of the big media companies has come down quite a bit from what it was, say, in January of last year or before. This The, the, the year 2022, we saw a major devaluing of all of the l- large media companies. So the idea that it would spring for a $9 billion acquisition here, you know, Comcast has a couple other things I think that it needs to figure out what it wants to do with any dry powder it has. Maybe it wants to buy Hulu from Disney, the 66% of Hulu that Disney owns, which Bob Iger has come out and said he would potentially be willing to sell. That would be a $20 billion deal or so if it happened. And of course, everybody speculates that a year from now, perhaps NBC Universal and Warner Brothers Discovery would come together to make a bigger company. And maybe that's what Brian Roberts wants to do. So in the list of priorities of those three deals, I would put WWE as a long third. Um, so I feel like the company probably just realized, like, look, if we have one big shot at a big deal here, this isn't the deal we want to do. And, and acquiring WWE would just make it more complicated to do those deals, you think? Yeah, they just, I mean, it would be, it would be money that they wouldn't have anymore because they probably wouldn't have done some sort of equity deal. An equity deal makes a lot of sense with this structure with Endeavor because it's a new company, UFC and WWE combined, but handing Vince McMahon a lot of Comcast stock. I'm not really sure, uh, McMahon would want that. Uh, and, 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 and I'm not really sure that that makes a lot of sense for Comcast because it kind of ties McMahon to the company for a while. Uh, so if it wasn't that, it would have to have been a cash deal. And, you know, I'm not sure investors would have loved the idea of, of Comcast spending $9 billion in cash or whatever on WWE. It just, it, you know, from a balance sheet standpoint, that's probably not the best use of the company's money. So how volatile a figure was Vince McMahon in this this whole uh, run up? Of course, like the, the scandal of the sexual misconduct allegations were front and center uh, throughout all of this. But. You know, he has navigated his way back to a very significant uh, power position within the company. Uh, at the end of the year, there was it is not as though the WWE board of directors just instantly wrapped their arms around Vince. Like there was certainly a contention there. But in the the sales talks, like it seems Ari Emanuel, like it was vital that Vince be part of this deal. Was he an outlier in that sense versus others where Vince is, was going to play a big factor, I think, in a lot of these uh, bidders? Well, uh, good question. I don't know the full answer to that uh, at this stage. Um, I may know more about that as the days go by in terms of just how much uh, of an outlier he was in terms of any other bidders. Because to be honest, 
I don't have a great sense even yet um, of who exactly was around the table at the end. The WWE uh, CEO now, Nick Khan, came out in the days before the sale and said there was a robust interest in buying WWE. Uh, at this point, other than Nick's word, I can't verify that. Um, mm-hmm. I will try to in the coming days to figure out who exactly was there at the end and how much or how little of a factor was McMahon uh, in uh, you know playing into the role of where WWE went. Uh, how, that said, there's no denying the fact that McMahon was out of the company, bullied his way back into the company, and now is going to play a major role moving forward. So, like, you know, he comes out a winner in this in that sense, right? He, he, it, it looked as though his days may be numbered there. And now not only are his days not numbered, but Ari Emanuel again publicly called him basically the key man of this deal which is what WWE has publicly said, even in all of their business filings for the last decade plus, like Vince McMahon is one of one from a creative standpoint, from a visionary standpoint, that all seemed to trickle away. And certainly in the wrestling community, there has been a lot of chatter about how Triple H, you know, kind of does the, the creative in a way that maybe moves the ball forward, takes WWE in a better direction than Vince McMahon did. Um, McMahon said on CNBC yesterday that he will not get in the weeds again in creative. So theoretically, that that relationship uh, uh, where Paul Levesque will continue to run this creative exists. Now, does anyone fully believe that Vince McMahon will not, you know, get in the weeds in creative in this new structure? Like, I, according to reports look, we heard from last night, from last night's Raw, he was very involved in, in running running creative last night. I mean, he's back with the company now. So like, again, look, I, again, this is where the logic kicks in, right? He's the majority owner of the company in the previous standpoint. He's executive chairman of the new combined company. Uh, He, he made a deal specifically to stay at the company. The idea that he's going to relax at a beach for the next, you know, X amount of years never made any sense. And I certainly don't think that's going to be something that logically makes sense moving forward. Yeah, I just hearing from someone directly there in in the midst of this last night, it it certainly seemed that last night show Vince was definitely getting the gardening gloves on at least uh, last night for the night after uh, WrestleMania. But it it will remain to be seen. That's a very interesting dynamic now moving forward with Vince McMahon and his son-in-law, Paul Paul Levesque, at at a time when I would say that overall fan interest has been very high and it's been reflected in their television numbers being up year over year with live attendance. They have been on a very hot streak going into WrestleMania. And now it's sort of the, uh, the, the, the come down you naturally get after WrestleMania. But I think um, fans are going to be having their microscopes out now, analyzing the programming and seeing any uh, tonal shifts that we see from it on, on the side of Endeavor. What do you see as sort of their big picture strategy? It seems that, Certainly from a parallel standpoint, from running the UFC with the success they have had over the last six and a half years, that that was just um, a perfect primer to jump into this kind of an acquisition. But what, what do you see as Endeavor's kind of large scale view of why this makes sense for them now? I think they had a lot of success with UFC and they feel like they can run the same playbook with WWE. That's certainly what they said publicly. You listen to them over and over again. They talked about this sort of vague concept of a flywheel. I don't really know what that means. But the ge- the general idea, I think, is that Endeavor owns a talent agency. Endeavor owns live events. 
Endeavor has done multiple media rights deals. They know how to slice and dice media rights really well to maximize the valuation in terms of the money that's going to come through the door for WWE over the next X amount of years. So they'll do new streaming deals. And they talked about maybe doing a new direct-to-consumer offering. And they'll do broadcast deals. And they'll do global deals. And so they figured it out with UFC. They think they can do the same thing with WWE. And now you have a new publicly traded company, both of these entities. And like, so who knows what that will do down the road. Now you've got equity to throw around in a bigger company. Maybe you can buy even more live events on that end. Or ultimately, maybe you can turn around and flip the thing to some media behemoth years down the road. But I think that was the general idea here. It's like, look, we know what we're doing with this. We have leadership in place. We have a lot of tools at our disposal to maximize value for a a media slash live events company. So this is the right home for WWE. And in, in, in the, the weeks leading up to this deal, we heard Ari Emanuel's comments on the earnings call, and I believe it was on the, the Morgan Stanley TMT conference, where he was saying that he was basically reassuring shareholders that Endeavor was going to take on more debt. And I'm, I'm starting to learn about a reverse Morris trust and how that works. But apparently, <laughs> with, with a reverse Morris trust, you're able to 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 push down the debt, whatever that means. It, I, I take it to mean you're taking the debt and sort of distributing it across two companies. Have I got that right? Yeah, that's right. In in essence, that that's right. I mean, this was an all equity deal. So in a cash deal situation or a partial cash deal, uh, usually that cash is from more debt. This deal is not that. Uh, it is two companies uh, putting equity into a new company to make a bigger company. So there's no additional debt on top of uh, what Endeavor already had as a company. So that's why I think the structure of this deal makes sense for Endeavor shareholders, although, you know, it's not like the company's stock performed all that well. I believe it ended up the day down yesterday. I have not looked uh, today to see what shares are trading at. Um, but, the, you know, it wasn't some giant negative reaction either with shareholders um, to, to this deal. And I do think there would have been a much heavier negative reaction had Endeavor said, look, we got to take X billions of debt uh, to buy this thing, you know, and, and just tuck it into our current company. Yeah, the, the- Endeavor is only slightly up today, and I, I've, I've just started to look at this since I sat down, and WWE is up almost 7% on the day, which I believe it was down by a few percent yesterday. So I, I don't know what's changed the sentiment today between you know today and yesterday. I'm not sure about today. Yesterday, I can, I can guess why the shares were down, because I think investors thought, you know, again, with Nick Khan coming out and saying there's some robust interest in this, I think some investors were preparing for like some sort of major bidding war the Saudis and the media companies and Endeavor and like this thing's going to go down to the wire and there's going to be first round bids and second round bids and up and up and up. So that didn't happen. So when the deal was announced, it was sort of like, okay, well, that's not happening. Um, so I, I'm guessing that's why shares were down yesterday. Maybe they're down, maybe they're back up today because if you take a look at the uh, uh, per share value price of the deal versus what the stock is actually trading at, shares are trading at a lower valuation than what the companies said WWE was worth that the 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 price given on the deal was an enterprise value of WWE of nine point three billion. But if you add up the market cap and the debt, it's like you know much less than nine point three billion now. So with the bump in shares today, perhaps investors are getting more comfortable with the idea that, that they actually believe that that enterprise value will be the value when these companies actually start to trade under the ticker TKO. Uh, which will trade on the New York Stock Exchange. You know, I think they said the deal would close later this year. 
Yeah. And do you know, is that going to be like a, a, a genuine IPO or is that going to be, I was talking with somebody this morning, trying to understand this, that the, they, they might use one of the company's stock as float, or is this going to be a, like a traditional IPO under TKO? It, I don't believe it will be an IPO. Um, okay. This goes back to the, the reverse Morris trust idea. Like they, there, there will be no road show here or anything like that. It will just start trading in terms of like, think of it more as sort of a spinoff of a company, which wouldn't have a traditional IPO either. Um, so, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, it will all of the in, in, in an IPO situation, you need to recruit new public shareholders. In this case, it will be the actual shareholders of WWE and Endeavor that roll into this new company. So that's going to be the shareholder base. So there's no need to go out and recruit new shareholders. On of the individuals that you're reporting on on a day to day basis, what does it mean to have Ari Emanuel and Nick Khan under the same umbrella? Is that cause for more optimism when it comes to these WWE rights, leaning on a Nick Khan? And there's also a very interesting question of sort of the distribution of duties as as well when you go into some of these larger media rights deals. Like, does Ari take a more um, front-facing approach in the negotiations? Is this Nick Khan's uh, sort of task moving forward? It's a lot of interesting questions with those two. There's also like the agency tensions, right? Because Nick sure. comes from CAA and uh, this is now a WME um, uh, deal with Endeavor. <clears throat> Look, I don't know. I think I think we're going to have to see how that works. Uh, I, I think it was notable that on CNBC yesterday, the the question was asked not of Nick Khan but of Vince McMahon and Ari Emanuel. How are you going to deal with any potential disagreements? that come down the road, you know, who, who's, who's the, who's in charge here. You're going to ultimately either Vince McMahon or Ari Emanuel is going to have to be the decision maker. So what's going to happen. And, and the answer that Emanuel gave was if we disagree about something, we just won't do it. So first of all, I mean, this whole thing has a, uh, uh, a, a WWE slant to it in a sense because it's all a show, right? I mean, Ari Emanuel's a showman. Vince McMahon's a showman. You had Nick Khan come out and say there's robust interest only to announce a deal over the weekend. Like, he already knew the deal was in place when he was going on all these shows and saying there's robust interest. Like, this is all a, 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 this work. is not a deal that was done in a weekend, right? <clears throat> Correct. It was the whole thing has been a work, just like WWE is. So, do I believe that Ari Emanuel and Vince McMahon are just not going to do anything if they disagree? Of course, I don't. So, there's going to have to be some sort of pecking order there. I think that's a really valid, potential thorny thing that comes up here. You've got Dana White, Vince McMahon, and Ari Emanuel now all in leadership roles. Mm-hmm. Are they? Are those three people going to be able to coexist in the same company? I mean, I think that's at least a, that's something we need to, you know, worry about in the abstract question. Certainly. And, you know, you we have seen what the dynamic has been with, with Ari and, and Dana White. Uh, but with Vince McMahon, like, this is someone that has, he has not answered to anyone above since 1982. Like, this is, and 
when you're a 77 year old, like very hard to, you know, mentally adapt to that kind of uh, power distribution as well. Like you look on paper, these are some heavyweights that are all comprised here. But with that comes gigantic egos and a lot of different career paths that have got them there. And is there an, an adaptability that comes with this kind of a organizational chart? I mean, on the one hand, this deal makes sense because you've got a structure in place where theoretically you've got uh, uh, Vince McMahon can work. In other words, Endeavor was open to the idea, not only open to it, but if you believe Ari Emanuel, insisted that Vince McMahon come along and play a major part in this new company, where I think that was a major turnoff to a lot of other buyers. On the other hand, now that it exists, we're going to have to see how three men with huge egos who, who don't shy away from that. I mean, they, they, they embrace the fact that these guys are alphas. How are they all going to be able to exist together? Maybe it will be fine. Certainly, you know, maybe they have mutual respect for each other and they'll all figure it out. Uh, they are professional businessmen with long track records of success. So it's certainly possible that it all works out. Uh, but you know, it's also, there's like fuel there for potentially combustible situation if it doesn't go right. And something that John and I have talked about a number of times is that, you know, we, we suspect that if this was any other industry, um, you, you think about, you know, the controversy that have happened in, in CNN, just for a recent example, if, if this were any other executive in any other industry, um, I don't know that Vince McMahon would, would, would come back from it. Um, but, but he has, and he's not only come back from it, but he's made a, a big, big sale and he's sitting there on CNBC yesterday to, to announce this major merger news. So the key difference there is I, I'll give you two key differences. One, the idea that Vince McMahon would have had a history of sexual misconduct is not as surprising as it is with many other media executives. And to some degree, and you saw it with Donald Trump when he ran for president, right? People are sort of more accepting of a situation where they're not as surprised with things as if you were, if it came out of left field or you branded yourself as the moral authority. I think that's a factor. But that's abstract. The real factor, which makes this different from, say, a CNN situation, is that Vince McMahon was the majority shareholder of this company. So the idea that he would just go away was nonsensical. He'd have to sell the company. That's the only way he could go away. So Jeff Zucker goes away from CNN because he doesn't own CNN. So that would have to be the apples-to-apples comparison would be, a company where the person actually owned it and controlled the voting shares and something happened to that person and did they eventually go away and how did they go away? Sometimes in like an athletic standpoint, like the NFL or the NBA, we have seen forced sales, right? Like Donald Sterling or something like the Clippers. But there is no league over the WWE to force a sale here. There's just shareholders. And the, and the guy that owns the voting rights is the guy that was under the sexual misconduct uh, allegations. So that's the card that Vince McMahon always had here uh, that maybe gave him a leg up over other media executives. One person raised to me the, the Formula One owner. I, I don't I don't remember his name, but that, that was Bernie Ecclestone. Yeah. yeah. He, he was embroiled in some controversy and, and maybe that's a comparable case. Possibly. Um, so you're right. He ended up selling that. Uh, uh, Bernie Ecclestone, I though was I think in his like late 80s at that point or like he was at least older than McMahon so that is one thing to, to take into account is sort of the age here look I do I do think that another thing we need to discuss here is like the succession aspect of this also right 
Like it was never clear to me. In fact, I was told several times uh, by people that I think know that Stephanie McMahon never wanted Vince McMahon to sell the company. So there was always that weird element to this too, which was like, okay, the daughter doesn't want the father to sell the company. Um, and yet he's selling it anyways. But then this ultimate structure, of course, keeps the McMahon family involved. It isn't just selling out. So now Stephanie McMahon is still a part of the picture here, uh, or at least could be down the road. So if, if I'm understanding the, the filings that I read yesterday is that, so the McMahon family members have 10 X voting power and that, that appears to, to be going away with the merger. The voting power, I believe, goes away, but yeah. not the economic. They, they still have lots of stock, yeah. Correct. That's right. When it comes to the UFC and this whole thing, which is sort of just this thing to the side, I'm very curious as well from that perspective of things that since the pandemic, their business has exploded that much more. They have been they have had these record revenue year year after year, and yet here they are, and this is almost like this – you know, you're, you suddenly have a, a set of like a st- stepbrothers and stepsisters that you're going to be under a tent with. And inevitably, I think everyone expects that there's going to be some redundancy here as well that will impact both, both sides of this whole coin. And that's an interesting aspect here that UFC is sort of just along for the ride here. And they are ones that have performed I- incredibly well under, under this structure. And there's going to be some adaptability for this individual, Dana White, as well as everyone in that company. Yeah. Look, one of the selling points that they, again, were very public about was sort of the synergy aspect of this deal, right? So where are those synergies coming from? I mean, they talked about operational efficiencies. Well, what does that mean? Usually what it means is layoffs. So I, I don't know where those will come from, but I, I, you'd have to imagine that that's going to be part of this deal. Uh, if some people are going to lose their jobs, uh, uh, you know, both at UFC and at WWE. So that's something to look for, at least, and, you know, as, as this deal gets uh, completed. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. As we wind down here, uh, Alex, this has been uh, such great insight uh, from you as well. When you're looking at sort of where we are now, what, what are what are the big events now to to look at? There's obviously the the domestic media rights deals for Raw and SmackDown. And there's also the, the the stock that will truly add a, add a true valuation from uh, in terms of the, the sale and all. What what are sort of the key areas uh, you are looking for in the in the follow up after this news breaks? You hit it. By far the biggest one is the media rights deal that's coming up, and that and that will like that's happening soon. Uh, I was told like more than a year ago. But, you know, a lot of people. In fact, our CNBC anchor Scott Wapner asked Vince McMahon. Had you not gotten into the uh, sexual misconduct issue, would this sale process have ever happened? McMahon said, you know, absolutely. Sort of, this was good for the company. In that sense, I I agree with him. Uh, and I don't think he's pulling one over on anybody. Because I was told pre all of the sexual misconduct things that a sale leading into the media rights discussions was absolutely plausible and on the table. Because this was the obvious time for this to happen. They would need to get something done before the media rights renewals came in because if a big media company had ended up buying WWE, 
then that would have, in effect, ended those media rights discussions. In other words, if Comcast had bought WWE, then Comcast would own the media rights to WWE. That would be the point of buying WWE. would be like, okay, look, for, for perpetuity, we can stick this on Peacock, our streaming service, and we can throw it on our cable channels, and we will own WWE IP. Now that that hasn't happened, the media rights discussions for both the streaming side, any direct-to-consumer product they decide to make, and the broadcast side is all going to come out in the next few months or so, uh, or at least the discussions will heat up in the next few months. So that is absolutely the next big hurdle here. And look, we'll, the Endeavor will get put to the test. They just had a huge investor call saying how good they were at this. So we'll see how good they are at it. We'll see what the rights increases end up being and the actual uh, you know, windowed products that they make in terms of, you know, what is streaming, what is broadcast, and what is some sort of new D2C service they have, um, and how much money comes in the door because of it. Brandon, any final questions? I'm good for now. Um, I just want to end on on this this last one, and I know it's it's, it's a bit of a complex one, but if you perceive the, the Saudi Arabia public investment fund as like a real player down to the stretch in all of this, you know, we, we saw the reports about you know, th- their interest in, in Liberty Media, you attach them to WWE. It seems that, you know, obviously the, the cash that they can offer is immense, but how much of resistance do you sense like of Saudi Arabia getting their, their hands on a major sports or entertainment outlet that is US based? Is that going to continue to be a, a big hurdle for them to, to clear that obviously they, they want to have that kind of control? I think it would, I think it will remain a hurdle for sure. Any company that I think that's going to remain a hurdle for. There's a political backlash to doing a huge deal like that. Um, so I think, you know, any company's ownership and board, uh, are, they're going to have to think, you know, do we really want to go down this road? Is it worth a potential backlash that comes along with it? We've already seen from LIV golf that there is some backlash involved there. Uh, and that's one that they do own. And like, you know, maybe as the years go by, uh, we'll see that backlash come down and potentially then Saudi Arabia investment money will be more likely to do some sort of large deal. But in, in the near term, like, yeah, it's, it's real. It's not the preferred buyer, I think, for a lot of, uh, American companies, certainly publicly traded American companies that are of scale. So yeah, yeah, like will that change? Maybe I don't know, but it's it's there 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 there's a real obstacle that exists today. He is Alex Sherman, media reporter at CNBC. As Nick Khan stated, quite a formidable reporter, <laughs> and we can't thank him enough for all this uh, great insight and uh, joining us on his vacation, no less. So, Alex, we will let you uh, uh, get back to that. Uh, but thanks so much for taking some time out to chat with us. This was really valuable to yeah, chat with you. Thanks about. a lot. My pleasure. I appreciate the support you guys gave have given me too. So, um, uh, ha- happy to help. All right. Thanks a lot, Alex. And uh, maybe another time we can uh, do this again down the road. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. Thanks. All right. That was Alex Sherman, everybody. Um, I-, I thought a lot of great insight there, and uh, you know, somebody that um, understands on on like the day to day reporting of sort of the uh, sort of the, the games that also go into a lot of these, you know public appearances that we see and that, you know, we are dissecting all of these Nikon interviews and it's always with sort of that, that pro wrestling slant that you are watching these with Brandon of like, what is the message that is being coded here? And what is, what is the strategy behind this? Because this is a very heavily strategic game and, and Nikon is, is one of the smarter ones at it. Yeah. There's at least two, two bits of information there that I can take away from, from our, our talk. And he, 
just saying that, you know, Nikon was, was doing the media tour, in, including uh, a, a segment on CNBC talking about how there was robust interest in a company transaction. Um, but it's not really believable that that this merger deal was put together after he said that or was no. only only started to be put together after he said that. Um, maybe, so, maybe, you know, night one was so great at WrestleMania. They went out for some drinks and you know what? They were just reveling in Owens and Zane, uh, prevailing. And you know what? Let's, let's get into business together. Absolutely. And, um, and the notion that, 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 that makes sense that, that Stephanie wasn't, that, that Stephanie wanted to remain, um, a family business and, you know, Vince has, has controlling voting power of the company that, that for now still exists. And once this is a merged company, once this deal is complete, if it is complete by the end of the year, as, as they have guided, um, it's not going to be a, a, a family controlled company where, you know, perhaps if, if Vince were to pass away and his shares, I don't know what his, what his succession plan is or where, where those shares would go, but perhaps, you know, the family could have kept controlling and kept that voting control through their class B shares that give them 10 X voting power over everybody else. Uh, that's why, that's why we've been able to say, you know, yes, Vince has just a little bit over a third of the shares, but he has 81% of the votes because of his special shares. Um, and it's now almost completely out of reach for the next generation has to inherit that. Yeah. It's, it would be very interesting because back in uh, 2018, when the, the the most the the current domestic rights deals went down. We got that Hollywood Reporter, which was sort of a TikTok of how all all the negotiations went down. It would be fascinating to see what the last month uh, consisted of and how real some of the other uh, bidders were uh, when Endeavor became the front runner and a lot of the intercompany dynamics of Vince's whole navigation of all of this. And that certainly bleeds into everyone's focus on last night's raw. That seemed to be, you know, Vince McMahon having his control over that show. And certainly if you're just watching it from the outside, looking in, I would say it would be the episode that would, that would most uh, convince even the greatest skeptic of the, the involvement and the, the reporting as such. And I've heard consistent, Certainly that bears out that this was Vince um, certainly having his uh, control of the show. Yeah. And it's, it's not just a thing that I think wrestling fans are um, some, some wrestling fans at least are uncomfortable with uh, that is the quality of the show, but that it has a genuine economic effect. Now that's sort of minimized in this situation where so much of the money comes from business partners and so much of the money is guaranteed in the form of TV rights or Saudi Arabia deals. Nonetheless, we've seen since the summer, and, and it did start before the summer, and I would say it started, it leveled off, the popularity and the consumer metrics leveled off from their decline around the time the Peacock deal started. Um, I could look further into it, but I would, the, the ticket sales being up is, I, I believe, without doing the research on the fly here, I believe is something that we've seen since Paul Levesque took, took over creative. And I would say that the TV ratings improving year over year against the headwind of cable TV being down or TV generally being down. Um, that's something that I think has become more robust uh, since, since Paul Levesque took over. Um, but is it, is it enough? Is Vince's effect on, on creative enough to really make a difference in their live TV rights value? Probably not. Um, but it is, it is a situation where, you know, it is probably going to become a less, uh, popular product and the more that that vince leads creative i think the more vulnerable WWE is to competition from 
Of course, their competition is TikTok, YouTube, the NFL, Netflix, Sleep, Sleep and perhaps even AEW. Uh, so in that I order, think that's I that, yeah. this, this is kind of good news for AEW, I suppose. Yeah, you want Vince to be in there and, and disgruntled talent and fans. You want to be the if, – if you are by definition the alternative, it means you are different then. And yeah. you don't want to be less than your – competition you want to be the alternative um but one thing i can state that is that hearing from enough people that are covering this industry from more the the business side outside of like the day-to-day wrestling stuff like these are people that are not necessarily uh, can tell you about all the angles and characters but they definitely have a pretty good handle on fan sentiment toward the product and it does seem like they do gauge like what the audience is reacting to the programming and creative is constantly brought up in all of these different uh, the discussions and the creative direction that vis-a-vis connects to your fan engagement yeah. and popularity of the product. That's not something I would have said a few years ago. But no, no, not at all. It's somewhat yeah. surprising, but it's consistent that they are very aware of the popularity um, uh, under the various creative directions. We have su- two super chats here. So let's uh, go to uh, our first one here uh, that asks, uh, based off of last night's Raw, the Endeavor-owned WWE doesn't look promising with Vince as head of creative, what was Ari thinking? Do you think, do you think Ari was having cold feet watching a raw last night and wondering, Oh my gosh, we are getting uh Brock Lesnar and Cody Rhodes coming out of this. Uh, do you think Ari Emanuel watched raw last night? I don't know. That's a good question. Probably not. Not much of it anyway. I would think um, he's probably got other things to do. Um, Did you I mean, see I've- the show last night? I saw, I only, I looked at the clip of Triple H speaking, but I listened to a lot of your review with Way. Great answer. Um, <laughs> it was more so just interesting the fact that it was like, it was almost like subtly acknowledged. Like you could, but at the same time, it's not like this, this gigantic uh, no, news story was plastered all over Raw. It was all WrestleMania. And it's not like this is something that we're like, we're trying to keep a secret. It was almost though they were trying to, like we are not going to say endeavor we are not going to say sale we're not going to say any of these words that scare any of our fans and it was hunter going out there to pretty much be reassuring at yeah. a time when honestly he was like, addressing i did see that he was addressing addressing it not by name you you know you, there's some plausible deniability about maybe he was just giving this vague positive message or maybe he was addressing something specific um, and, but I do think that, you know, the average wrestling fan doesn't know what a merger means necessarily and doesn't know what that means for the, the TV show that they watch every week. And I think it's. I was ready for Hunter to break down the reverse Morris trust and explain yes. this with WWE buzzwords. The Titantron and, and the diagram. Yeah. Yeah. And pause for the pops. And that would be the new, this is awesome would be RMT. Um, but yes, that was that was kind of the handling of it, just the opening segment that you would kind of have to read between the lines on. But uh, thank you for the super chat. Uh, one other here. Uh, do you think that Ari will care about the quality and perception of the show itself, or is that going to be a non-issue for him? Like I said, if, if it affects live TV rights values, but we've, WD from 2016 to 2019, a lot of their consumer metrics, especially the ones that weren't affected by a tailwind, were down in consecutive years. And their live TV rights fees were still really strong. They were still able in 2018 to get a 3.6 X increase on their, their US deal. So, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. If he's going to care much more than Nikon cares about the, the quality of the product or what wrestling fans think about it, as long as they're able to make the sort of great deals that they, 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 that they make. Um, I'm, I'm really curious about what exactly were the conversations around whether to keep Vince on or not. I mean, yes, his public message is that, oh my God, we had to keep Vince. 
Um, I mean, I, that 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 is a public message, and I, I imagine there's a larger story and reality to to, to that comment. So there you have it. Uh, thank you for the super chats, everyone. And thanks to all of you for uh, tuning in for the special live edition of Pollock and Thurston interview. Uh, can, can we pull the curtain back, uh, Brandon? Uh, you get uh, all the points here because th- th- this was cut, cut it close that you were going to be able to, to join us. But I'm glad you, you made it on time. I made it. A true pro. Fortunately, Alex needed an extra 15 minutes and I was very I was ready. I was ready. I was here with three minutes of cushion here. I, but I but I made it. Yes, Fantastic I had, stuff. I had to take well, my aunt to an appointment. And we just barely made it. You nailed it. Uh, a true pro is uh, Brandon Thurston. So uh, in the meantime, uh, you can check out more of our work at uh, patreon.com slash WrestleNomics as well. Postwrestlingcafe.com, uh, support postwrestling and WrestleNomics. And Brandon, when will you be back this week? Thursday, we'll be doing a, a podcast for subscribers only. Uh, that'll be out in, in the evening. And we are back for free for everybody uh, on Sunday with at a time to be announced because it is Easter. That is true. I, I learned about this. This is Easter where, uh, I will be doing a UFC 287 post show. So for people that want to just dive in, what is this UFC stuff that you've been talking about all these years? Now is the time for all wrestling fans to dive in and learn about UFC. All right. That's going to wrap us up. Uh, big thank you to Alex Sherman, uh, for taking time out to, uh, to chat with us. I really enjoyed that discussion and the Wizard of Oz, waiting the man behind the scenes, keeping everything running smoothly. Uh, we we thank Way as as always. So uh, that is going to wrap things up. And uh, myself and Way will be back Wednesday night after Dynamite. So we will chat all about MJF Day and Tony Khan's major announcement. The bar's been said hi this week for Tony Khan yes. to make a major yes. announcement. So we will see what he has in store. Uh, but that's going to wrap things up. So thanks to everybody, and we are out. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.